Hello friends, how are you? My name is Colm and this is the Sober Mess podcast and I hope you're having a lovely, gentle day. Today I'm joined by my good friend Alex McRobert. Alex is a former party girl turned sober coach and yoga teacher. She's the founder of the Mindful Mindful Life Practice as well as her own podcast, the Sober Yoga Girl Podcast. And so I'm absolutely chuffed and delighted to have her onto the podcast to talk all about the goodness of sobriety and the great things we can get up to in an alcohol-free life. So Alex, how are you? Awesome. Thank you so much for the intro. I'm good. How are you? I'm good today. I'm good. I just uh, went down for a swim and a run this morning. And uh, yeah, I find them my little kind of, you know, they just help trigger that uh, flow state and put my mind in a good place. And I'm a big believer in... uh, mood follows action so no matter what mood you're in you know oh, i don't want to do that thing that usually makes me feel amazing usually when i do it i always do feel really good after it so it's like the drag the body and the head will follow you know it's so true yeah how was your morning it's been good it's been good actually i um i had a very early morning um because i had a pod i had an interview with one of my sober idols um which was amazing ralph gates he wrote like my favorite book on sobriety okay but it was originally the interview was supposed to be at 10 a.m bali time because i scheduled it a week ago when i was in bali and now i'm in dubai and so it was at 5 a.m okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a very early morning but i got my day started and i got to see the sunrise here oh, which beautiful. is beautiful and um headed out and just kind of got some things done around Dubai which is nice so yeah I love that I love that and like what do you think is like the highlight of being sober today like what what do you think is one of the main benefits that you enjoy about sober life the highlight is being able to do things like a interview at 5 a.m you know and and like feeling like knowing that you're gonna feel well for it and and like um like, I definitely know that I wouldn't be, I know that I wouldn't be in this situation of like interviewing this like person who's one of my idols um, on my show had I not gone sober, which is like the wildest thing to imagine. So it's just been like this journey that's opened up so many amazing doors. I love that. Yeah, just to kind of be reliable and to kind of be able to show up when you're meant to. Because I remember that, like, you know, yeah. you'd, you'd have appointments the next day or things that you had on the next day and you're like, just waking up riddled with fear, riddled with a hangover and just not being able to turn yeah. up to them things. And not, even when you do turn up, you're not present. Like, you know, you're never quite there. Like, you know, it's so true. Yeah. Like what's what's a bit of your story? Like, how did you get to where you are now? Because like we were having a chat before and you're saying you're flying between Bali to the yeah. boy, you know, and I know you're originally from Canada and, you know, like the life you obviously have today is a million miles away from what it used to be. Like, what's a bit of your journey and how you got there? Yeah, it's amazing. It's a great question. And you know, so I was speaking to my mentor today who I mentioned, and um, it was so amazing to talk to him because actually the last time I saw him, I was a hundred days sober Wow! and he, and he doesn't follow me on social media at all. He's like kind of this big yoga teacher in, um, in the States wrote this amazing book. That's how I came across him. And he's also sober. And 
when I was first getting sober, I was kind of drawn to like the only person I knew who was sober, which is him. But anyway, I bring this up because, you know, you sometimes don't realize how far you've come because you don't pause and and reflect on it. And I really had this opportunity today where he said to me, you know, the last time I saw you, you were like fragile, like you were in tears and like, and he said to me, like, I didn't think you were going to make it the first time around and like here. And I'm like, no, I'm still sober <laughs> like three years later, which is pretty amazing. Wow. So, um, yeah, so I was a teacher in the middle East and I, so I'm from Canada originally grew up in Toronto and, um, I just had the normal Toronto life of like or normal kind of European Canadian American life of like party culture, drinking parents, drank friends, drank, and I got really into drinking, but I had a lot of things happening in my life as a teenager that I've only kind of really started to process and understand now, but there was like a lot of really tough things happening in my family, um, which I often don't publicly speak about because it's like their story as well as mine, you know? Mm -hmm. And I started drinking around the same age and I often thought that it was just like party girl, party girl. But I think I was like looking for a way to cope and like numb because I like didn't really have an outlet to process what I was dealing with. And I didn't really understand what I was dealing with. And when I got to university, I was just drinking all the time. And I think at the beginning it felt normal. Like everyone else was kind of doing these, you know, everyone was partying at age 19, 20, 21. But then it hit the point when like I was in my teacher's college degree and I was like drinking every single night, but I was home alone at this point. Like my roommates had all I think they were all doing teaching placements in Toronto and I kind of had the place to myself and was just drinking all the time. And then when I moved to the Middle East, that's when it's really, really ramped up. So basically I discovered yoga at the same time as I was going through all this stuff in school. And, um, I told my parents, you know, I just want to be a yoga teacher. And my parents were like, you need to get a job. Um, and so I looked into different teaching options and I ended up moving overseas to Kuwait when I was 23. And that was the most interesting thing because in Kuwait, alcohol was illegal. And so everyone, when I said I was moving to Kuwait, everyone was like, you're going to get arrested. And I was like, it's going to be fun. Um, and so I get over there and it became like, it was like the weirdest experience of my life. I was there for two years and I often think I'm like, you know, I would have had a really different experience having gone, been being sober and being older, I think. But when I was there, I was like obsessed with making wine, like learning how to make it, mm-hmm. finding other people that made it. And then the thing is like alcohol is illegal, but it's not impossible to find, right? It's like, drugs in the United States and Canada, you know, you can find it and you could have it on embassy properties. And there were also people smuggling it in. So then I became obsessed with like dating people who could get me. (laughs) There's always a way to get it. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, I look back on my, um, actually the funny thing is one of the guys I dated back then just texted me the other day saying he's listening to my podcast. I'm like, Oh my God. And I, I'm I'm like, I think I mentioned him on an interview. (laughs) I hope he's not listening, but you know, people would, men would literally lead the conversation with, I know how to get alcohol. And I, I'd be like, let's go on a date. And I would end up (laughs) with like, the most ridiculous, I mean, like great people, but not matches for me and people that I would never sit at a table with now, like now that mm. I'm, I know 
myself and my soul and like what fuels me and what makes me happy. Like there's people that I wouldn't even entertain a conversation with longer than a chat. And they would be like my boyfriends (laughs) (laughs) because like they, you know, could get onto the embassy. And so to make like a long story short, I basically left Kuwait and moved to Dubai because I discovered Dubai, which is like kind of the Vegas of the Middle East. Like this is where everyone drinks at like noon and 11 on a weekend. And so I was like, I'm going to move to Dubai. Everything's going to be better. Alcohol is going to be legal. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to like do all these brunches. And then I get over here. And of course it's like the beginning of the end. Cause like you come to a place where like, it's socially acceptable to drink every day of the week. Like it's just, um, I thought it was like my paradise and it ended up being like, I, I hit it. I, I think I only lasted a year and a half into it before I, I just hit this bottom and was like, I need to get sober. And I do think had I not been through all of these like dramatic extremes at such a young age, I think it would have taken me longer to find sobriety. Um, mm-hmm. because I think these extremes really f- made me hit hard into, um, what was my bottom. And so, what, so yeah, what, that what, was for you. What, like, what was your bottom? What was your kind of crack that said, right, drink does not suit me or that does not serve me or empower me or that in my life. Like for you, what was that kind of pinnacle moment that you realized I want to change here? I want to like, give up alcohol. Yeah. So I was a school teacher and I was, despite how much I was partying, I was still considered like a pretty great teacher at the time. Like I remember I even had the principal's daughter in my class and like, he loved me. Like he thought I was like an outstanding teacher. And I think that's a really important thing to highlight because we have so many stereotypes that people with, with drinking problems are like, you know, not able to hold down a job or getting up in the morning and drinking before work. And I think it's really important for people to see that like this can come from all walks of life and all levels. And for me, it was like, I was able to do a good job as a teacher, but I was going by the end, I was drinking wine and beer every single night. And I was waking up every single day hungover. Mm -hmm. And at the very end it hit so the very end, I, I had a big period of traveling. Like I was backpacking around Southeast Asia for Christmas. And then I went with some friends to Norway and um, I had some friends visiting me. It was like the special Olympics in, in Abu Dhabi. And so a f- some friends came out for a couple of weeks and there was just this really intense period of me just doing so much partying. And there was actually one night that I, I don't talk about it very often publicly because I feel like it makes me sound like a bad teacher. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was a school teacher. Um, and the the funny thing is, is that that night, my family, so my family friends from Toronto were visiting me um, in Abu Dhabi. This is actually the first time I've ever talked about this on a podcast. And um, we decided to go out. There were like these ladies nights in Abu Dhabi where women could drink for free. And they did that to try and like get women into the bars. So I knew where all the ladies nights were in the city, you know, so anyone would come visit me and I would take them on like a tour of all the ladies nights. And so it was like a Tuesday and we went to ladies night across the street from my school because I think it was the hotel she was staying in. And the funny thing was that we actually saw my principal and he ordered us some drinks. I remember that because then he was going to pay for them. And then he was like, oh, it's ladies night. They're free. And um, this just shows me how normal this culture was of people drinking and going out for drinks on like a weeknight, um, you know, because even like he wouldn't think anything of it to see me out drinking on a school night, you know, and that was just the normal culture for, for teachers in, in the UAE. And so we went on to like the next ladies night and 
I remember I drank so much that I was, I wanted to call in a substitute teacher to school the next day, but then I was so drunk in the taxi back to my apartment that I couldn't even write the email or the substitute teacher plans. And I remember getting back to my apartment and I literally could not write it. And and that was why I went into work the next day. And I remember getting up in the morning, thankfully my car was uh, actually broken down at this point. So I didn't have the car in my possession. So I had arranged someone to give me a ride into school. But I remember my friend picking me up and me just being asleep in the car beside her for the half hour drive. And we got into school and I remember everyone could tell that I had been to a ladies night, everyone. And, but people thought it was funny. Everyone, all my colleagues thought it was so funny that I had been to this ladies night the night before. And I just felt awful. And I remember the kids went out for recess and I was just like, kind of crumbled on the couch in the classroom, like almost asleep, basically. And a kid came in at recess and was like, are you asleep? (laughs) (laughs) And that was, and I, and I never talked about it on, on a podcast before, because I was like, it makes me sound like a really bad teacher. But the, the truth is, I think there's lots of people that, um, have done things like this, you know, where, and, and, things that you're, you're definitely ashamed of. And you're like, that is not who I am. But I was in such a spiral at that point that it was like, um, I didn't even know how to get out of it. And then how do you, how do you get over, how do you get out of that depressive, like hangover feeling is you just like have a beer the next night, you know? Mm, and yeah. so for me, I think at the very end of my drinking, I think the only nights when I didn't drink was when I felt so hungover that I was like, I don't want to have a drink. And so it would maybe be one night off. And I, I look back on that and I'm like, wow, I never started out this way. And I don't know how it ended that way. You know, no one ever starts out being like, I want to drink every single night <laughs> and then it just yeah. happens. It just becomes, so, new, it just becomes a new normal, doesn't it? And I love that when you're like kind of totally. talking about the, the, like the functioning, you know, uh, like the, the functioning drinker, you know, where it's not really impacting your kind of life, your work, mm-hmm. your relationships, your kind of your mental health as such. And then it slowly kind of sneaks up on you. And like for a long time, yeah. I justified my drinking because I could rationalize it because I was like holding on to jobs and I was holding on to relationships. Yeah. And no one really knew, you know, and but they said it. And nah, I, you know, I was just a part of the culture, you know, going out to the pub, you know, and if you go a bit crazy, you're, you're, you're a legend or it's kind of fun, funny or it's a bit oh, of crack, you know. And then like, like that's that stigma that if you think of what's an alcoholic or what's someone that depends on alcohol, it's someone that sleeps on a park bench and drinks over paper totally. bag. Like, so you're like, well, that's not me. So obviously I haven't got a, I haven't got an issue with drink. Like, you know, drink is, is a phone. It's cr- go cracker. And, you know, and then you, you, cause you don't see that thing kind of sneaking up on you. And I remember one time I was, uh, I was out with a friend and like, I remember at the time, you know, my, my, the girl I was seeing at the time, she threw me out because I went on this mad party for the week and, you know, didn't show again. Like, and, uh, I remember talking to my friend and being like, yeah, you know, man, I think I might be an alcoholic, you know, I think I might have a problem with drink, like, and he turned around to me and was like, man, you don't have a problem with drink, man, because you drink yeah. the same as we, and there's no way the both of us yeah. are alcoholics, like, you know, and then like three years later, now the two of us are sober, because, you know, it's like, <laughs> well, look at that, maybe, maybe we are both alcoholics, but it is, uh, it's, it's mad, but that thing you can rationalize, because your normal becomes your normal, and I think... As you kind of, yeah. your, your drinking habits change, you start to gravitate towards people who drink the same as you. So you don't stand out. 
percent. So your behavior isn't yeah. abnormal, you know. You kind of fit in with the crowd because I didn't. I don't want to kind of be the the messy drunk in the pub. Yeah. I, I want to kind of drink with people that drink the same as me and drink at the same pace and you know want to stay up for three or four yeah. days and just go crazy. Like you know, I want to find people that kind of suit that type of drinking. But when you when you hit that bottom, you know, wh- where did you go from there? Like, what did you do to kind of say, right? I need. I want, like, what what were the steps you took to to kind of change your life then? In that moment. Well, okay. So that was like my, what I know as my bottom, but I actually did not quit drinking until about three weeks later. And that was because I was going on a trip. (laughs) So my mom, my mom was coming out to the Middle East. Um, Like that was a particularly busy time in my life, which is actually kind of nice looking back on it. Cause it was like right before the pandemic and I didn't realize, but like, I just got in a ton of traveling in 2019 and then, um, and then it so happened that I wasn't able to travel again for a while, but, um, my mom was coming out, we were going to Morocco and this was my justification. So meanwhile, in the background, I keep getting these targeted ads for a sober community online, but (laughs) I was like, I can't quit because, you know, I have this, that, and the other thing, these people are visiting, it's going to ruin that, whatever. And so I was really curious and I kept looking at this page. I wouldn't follow them or like them because I didn't want anyone to see that I had followed or liked them, but kept looking at this page and I was going on this vacation with my mom and what I remember about this vacation. So the thing about the Middle East is that there are parts of the Middle East where you cannot drink like Kuwait. It's completely illegal. You'll visit different countries and there will be towns where it's like not permitted to drink. So that was the case in Morocco. And um, we were on a tour and our guide had said to us, you know, if you want to drink, bring some alcohol with you. And what I remember was that I kept saying like, you know, he needed to bring us to places where we could drink. So he would have planned a a really lovely dinner for the group at like some whatever shawarma place. And I would say, okay, you need to take us to a place where we can drink after. And I became obsessed with like having enough alcohol to get drunk. And we're traveling around Morocco. And then my birthday happens and it's at the top of the high Atlas mountains and should have been like a once in a lifetime thing, right? My 27th birthday on the mountains. And I was annoyed because you couldn't get alcohol up there. And then I carried one bottle of wine in my backpack. And I remember saying to my mom, like, don't share this with anyone. And then we drank it and I couldn't get drunk. And that night was the moment for me where I just kind of was like, wow, this whole vacation, this whole experience has been dictated by whether or not I can get booze. And I'm not very happy anymore and I need to take a break. And it was never that I was getting sober or quitting ever because I, that terrified me. I could not even imagine, like I had never even done a dry January at this point. So I was like, I'm not quitting. I'm just taking 28 days off of alcohol was like the plan. So flight home from Morocco to Abu Dhabi was my day one. And I tried to do it on my own. I made it about five days, I would say. And I actually, I had a panic attack at work, which the whole scenario is so funny to me in hindsight, because now I have this sense of spirituality where I'm like, everything always works out. And I'll, I'll tell you what the scenario was. So when I was a teacher in the middle East, part of the package was that they set you up in an apartment and you could apply to move out of the apartment. And if your application got approved, which it would, if you submitted it on time, then they would just give you the money for your rent. And then you could choose another place. And so I was completely broke at this point. Like I was so, I was in so much credit card debt because I had been doing all this traveling and getting drunk and partying and whatever. And so 
I was convinced that the reason why I was broke was because I was living in, we were living in very beautiful accommodations. And I was convinced that the reason why I was broke was because I, um, could save more money if I moved out of the accommodation. So I submitted the application, but I was late. So it was my own fault. Application gets rejected. So I'm forced to stay in the accommodation, which by the way, in hindsight, this was right before the pandemic, right? So it ended up being the best thing in the world because I had to do lockdown in this beautiful apartment. And and so you look back and you're like, wow, every single thing was happening on purpose. But in the moment, it felt like the end of the world, five days sober, I'm in debt. I'm like, how am I going to get out of it? I get rejected for this thing. And then I'm just like sobbing in tears, having a panic attack at work. And my boss is like, what's wrong? <laughs> and, and they were incredible. And I, I think about this often, this school that I worked for, because this is the Middle East where it's completely forbidden to even be, it's like kind of forbidden to be consuming alcohol. Of course, we're all like secretly doing it, but like, it's not something like having a teacher who is becoming a sober influence. like that is not going to go over well with like the local parents. And the fact that my school, the the principals and my team just like completely supported me through this whole thing was just amazing. But like right from the day one, when I was like having this panic attack, I don't think I told her that I was getting sober, but she did set me up with counseling. And then about three days later, I was like, "Um, yeah, I'm becoming sober. And, um, she was like, amazingly, she's like, I'm so proud of you. That's incredible. And then like, they were all just like cheering me on. And so I was really lucky that I kind of ended up with this counseling situation, which was like a counselor on campus who was like doing her practicum, who started counseling me for free, which was amazing. And then I ended up getting into that sober community that I talked about that I was seeing ads for on Facebook. So this is one year, no beer. So I um, paid and joined their online thing. And so for the first year, I was really just part of this Facebook community and that was like what got me through it I love that yeah like and and you as a sober coach like what what advice would you give to someone that's new to the journey that's wanting to make kind of live a sober life but they're kind of struggling to make that leap or they they can't seem to get any uh, kind of time off the drink as you said struggle for the like dry January like what advice would you give to someone that wants to kind of you know give up alcohol. So I think you hit on something really um, strong earlier when you talked about how we surround ourselves from the people that we want to be from the people that are like us. So for example, when I moved to Abu Dhabi, you know, I came here because I wanted to party. And so I surrounded myself with people that wanted to party. And so when you're then having this shift of like, I don't think this life is for me anymore. You are surrounded with people that want you to keep drinking because that is their life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think the key thing is to find, like, for me, it ended up being that I found a whole new community and I'm no longer really friends with any of these party people in Abu Dhabi, but that is kind of because our whole relationship was based on the partying might be a little different if, you know, like my high school friends, my elementary school friends, we have core things in common besides us partying. And so I still have a a connection with them when I go back to Canada, but there might be some, some, in some cases where you do lose your friendships and you do lose your friends. And I think the key thing is like finding and surrounding yourself with people that are going to support this change. And it might even mean like stepping away from some relationships or like really finding your community, whether it's one year, no beer, whether you're part of 12 step, like whatever group is going to help you 
keep moving forward. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true to like, like, because mindsets and behaviors are contagious. Like, you know, and the, mm-hmm. the people that you surround yourself, because if you're not drinking and you're going out to the bar and you're hanging around people drinking, like you mm-hmm. not drinking becomes abnormal. You feel like the weirdo there. You know what I mean? You exactly. feel like, oh, I don't belong here. You know, you feel like an imposter. And that event that's going to make you want to, because we're a tribal species, we're going to want to fit in with our, like that need for approval. We're going to want to fit in with people. And that's going to lead me to want to drink, you know, if I'm hanging around people drinking all the time. But then it's the opposite effect. If I'm hanging around with people who are sober and I see that genuinely happy and smiling and, you know, they're yeah. finding the good stuff in life, be it like hiking or yoga or jujitsu or exploring or whatever the, the sober things may be. But realizing that, wow, like actually you can have a bit of crack and, and not drink. And this whole association between fun and excitement and alcohol, like it's it's kind of it's just a very kind of small part of 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 our culture. Like, you know, and there's so much. There's so, like I didn't know when I got sober first, I didn't realize that so many people don't drink, you know, because I was constantly yeah. surrounded by people that drink. I never met anyone really that had that was normal and didn't drink like you know and and then when I got sober and meeting people that were actually really cool and really sound and really kind of amazing people that I really admired like I mean like well you you don't drink but why are you happy like why are you smiling for like I don't understand like what do you do for fun at the weekend and you know and then kind of and like you know getting involved with these people and realizing hold on, there's so much more to be able to kind of wake up fresh on a, a, a Saturday or Sunday morning and, you know, not feeling hungover. And you talked about at the start of the podcast about being able to be available and, and reliable yeah. and, and, and useful and present and not hungover or thinking, like, oh, crap, we're having an appointment tomorrow. How am we going to cancel this? Or what excuse can I come up with? Yeah. And so, because I know I want, I want to drink tonight, you know, and because you don't feel that freedom. Like, I've, 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 I think, on of the podcast interview tomorrow, but I want to drink tonight, and then you're anxious. We're going to do I not drink, or how do I how can I do I drink double tomorrow to make up for it? And you know, not having them issues anymore, like not having them to worry about kind of what lies do I need to tell, you know, to 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 sustain my drinking. But um, so the, like having a really having a like minded sober community is so vital, and to kind of put myself yeah. out there and, and meet people like that don't drink and. You know, to kind of try and gravitate towards, like, you know, even you go on social media now, there's so many, like, this the sober yeah. movement is incredible. Like, and that's how I came across your page. And I love the positivity you put out there. And I love the energy and just the, the sober, smiley life we can have, not not drinking, like, you know. Like, what, what for you, like, what, what would you do on a daily basis to sustain that kind of sobriety and, and, the, and the smiley happiness that you have um oh I love that question and I love that whole idea because I think that is really what one of my main goals is is I think when I when I was thinking about the idea of sobriety I was thinking about everything that I was going to give up and everything I was going to lose and I didn't realize like how much I was going to gain and so that is really my core message that I try to share is like, there's just so much you can like get and gain from sobriety. And so I love that you describe that as like the happy, smiley, you know, sober life. Cause that's like hundred percent what I love to, to share with people. And, um, 
for me, it's, it's really about having, I mean, I'm out of my daily routine right now because I'm in Dubai. Like you asked me what my day was and I was like, well, I had a podcast interview. And then I like went to the mall, got some errands. <laughs> but typically when I'm, when I am in Bali, which is where I'm living now, um, in my typical days, I start with zoom meetings in the morning. Um, and I do them very early morning because it's evening for North America. So when I'm in Bali, I'm exactly 12 hours from, the Eastern time zone. So it's like 6 30 PM and I'm running yoga teacher trainings and coaching things and, and classes for people in sobriety. And then after that, I usually do my own personal daily yoga practice. So I go to the yoga barn, which we talked about before at the beginning. And I think that is key is like having your own practice and having your time for yourself. And I was reading something the other day, I came across someone's Instagram where they said that stress is like a key factor in, in relapse, which is so true because I have, I had a moment where I did drink, um, at one point in my sobriety. And for me, it was like a hundred percent, just the stress that was like on my shoulders and me not regularly having this outlet of like practicing and, and taking care of myself. And so I really try to put that first in every single day is like my own yoga practice. And, and then it is really just connecting to other people, as you said, like other people on the sober path. Like I love doing these podcasts because I love just sitting down with someone and like talking about all the reasons why we're sober. <laughs> like it's just amazing. And so it's really just like staying close to why I'm doing what I'm doing. So what, what are some of your components? Like you said that we're getting stressed out and not kind of mm-hmm. doing your kind of things that make you de-stress. Like what are some of the, what are the, some of the components that are them things that you do to kind of keep them stress levels low? For me, it is yoga, my yoga classes, my meditation. Sometimes I do get into uh, walking. I haven't in a while, but I used to do like a daily walk. Um, I also have a cat who <laughs> I just really love, like cat cuddles. What's your cat's name? <laughs> Princess. Ah, lovely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that. And and it's it, it is so true that there is the like as you say stress, you know, I heard people, you know, they say oh pressure makes diamonds, but pressure also bursts pipes, you know what I mean? And so like, try and keep the keep the stress levels low, like, you know, and I know like for me it's sobriety for me today is about maintenance, it's about maintaining. It's not like yeah. you achieve this, you cross a, you like you get to the finish line, you get to the destination and you'll never drink again. I'm a, I'm a black belt in sobriety or I got a certificate in sobriety, so I never need to do any work. And it's it's that thing, anything that I don't maintain will get out of hand if it's my my hygiene, like last week's bath won't keep me clean today. Like, you know, I need to do them yeah. daily things and you know, part of mine is like a good sleep, like eight hours sleep is vital for me. Like, you know, eating healthy, good wholesome yeah, foods, good community, you know, um meditation, you know, journaling, gratitude lists, um stuff that make me feel good, like, you know, and keep the kind of the, yeah. the them dopamine levels like low or just not it, like equal, not kind of spiking that. Because I know when I got sober, all the you can get all the sober addictions, you know, they can become the workaholic or the the high performing overachiever. Yeah. The um, you know could be lost to relationships or online shopping or spending or overeating or overtraining, and you know to try and find balance in that. Because I found the. Because alcohol wasn't actually my problem, you know, alcohol was my solution, you know, my problem was yes. sitting in my own skin, I didn't feel comfortable mm-hmm. in my reality, I had this default sense 
feeling of just discomfort, anxiety, loneliness. I didn't feel like I fitted in with the people around me. And when I drank, that just seemed to fill that void. It made me feel normal. It made me feel okay. It made me feel like what everyone else I assumed was feeling, just feeling okay, you know. And then I loved that feeling so much that I chased it to, to the abyss of oblivion, like, you know. And um, so when I stopped drinking and didn't do that work, that inner work, the other addictions kind of spiked the heads up, like, you know, it was like whack-a-mole. And it was mad because when I was in, in uh, Bali, I went backpacking in Bali about uh, three or four years ago, it's, and it was sober, and I loved it because I was getting, like, 12-step meetings all over Thailand, all over Vietnam and Cambodia, yeah. like, in, in, like, jungles and boats and beaches and up mountains, and, you know, it was amazing, you know. And I went to uh, a 12-step meeting actually in a bud, and what I loved about it, and I went to one in Semiac as well in Bali, which is a class, but I remember going into this this little centre, and it was a 12-step um, centre, and they had all these different like 12-step recovery meetings. So they'd have like Alcoholics Anonymous at 9 o'clock, and then Cocaine Anonymous, then Overeaters Anonymous, then Sex and Love Anonymous, and then Gamblers Anonymous, and Overeaters Anonymous, and Anilon, and Adult Children Alcoholics, and... You know, all these different 12-step groups and, like, at different times throughout the day. And then they had any a meeting called uh, Any Addiction Anonymous. And uh, I thought that was fascinating. So we went to this 12-step uh, uh, meeting, Any Addictions Anonymous, and I was just blown away by how the narrative was the exact same. Like, regardless mm. of the substance, regardless of yeah. the weapon, like, you take away the... The, the matter or the substance, the drink, the drug, the behavior, you know, whatever it is. It's like the reason why we're doing that behavior is usually to escape reality. But the solution is is always the same. Like, you know what I mean? To get a connection. And I know people always talk about yeah. it. The opposite of addiction is an abstinence. The opposite of addiction yeah. is connection. And to try and uh, align a better connection in our lives, like, you know, um, and I think that that for me was vital to start to do that inner work on myself, you know, to turn inwards and, you know, because even after years of being sober, I, I got like, I was just had this, I need to like do an Ironman or a marathon or I have to work 80 hours a week and, you know, just being like, Why am, what am I running from? And there's still fires burning within me that we had to, that we had to work on, you know, and do that bit of in a walk or that bit of shadow walk and did you experience that as well when you got sober that you kind of had things within you that you needed to resolve that just putting down the drink wasn't the the final solution a hundred percent hundred percent and I feel like I'm it's like an onion that I'm like peeling back still like there's still I'm I'm coming up to three years in a couple weeks and I'm still still discovering things and still learning things. And there's certain things that happened in my life. Um, like I'll give you one example. I was married for a really short period of time when I was 25, I was married for six weeks. Um, and I felt the whole time that I was married, that I was like in the wrong relationship, that I made a mistake that I didn't know how to tell this person, um, that I made this mistake. And, and that was really, that was when I was living in Kuwait and that was kind of the beginning of everything. And then, you know, I moved to Abu Dhabi and there was all this shame around it. You know, my family was pretty ashamed of, of what I had done and moved to Abu Dhabi. And, you know, my parents said to me, don't tell anyone you were married when you were there. And, and so there's like this whole secret that I'm 
um, basically just like numbing with alcohol. And I had this whole narrative around it of like, I'm a bad person because I've like broken this person's heart. And it took me like probably into two years of my sobriety. So maybe five years after we, this relationship ended for me to realize that like, I was having this inner gut reaction that I needed to like leave this relationship. And by me leaving, it was like actually making me a good person because there are people that move through their entire life married to the wrong person (laughs) and, and they're making life this like miserable situation because neither of them want to be in that relationship. And for me being able to have the courage to leave, that's something that makes you a good person. And it took me like two years of sobriety for me to be like, wow, I had this like whole narrative in my head about like who I was and like what I was worthy of. And like, and because I was drinking so much, I just like, wasn't able to like strip down everything and have the clarity to just see like, actually I'm like, not this horrible villainous person that I've made myself out to be, you know what I mean? And, and it just feels like it's been three years of like, every couple months I have like a new revelation that I know I wouldn't be doing this work if I were drinking. Like, I don't think I would have ever processed that whole part of my life or made peace with it. Had I not gotten sober. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. And it's mad because when you think like straight away, when you think of addictions, you know, you think of like the alcohol or the drugs, but you know, yeah. me for one, I suffered from a lot of untangible addictions, like the need for please, you know, the, the, the need to, mm. to please, you know, people pleasing, you know, the addiction of everyone needing everyone's approval, needing everyone in the room to like me. And, yeah. you know, that, that, that codependency stuff as well. You know, you talk about the relationship stuff and, you know, get, learning to work on that. And I think when you, when you come back and discover why we, we drank the way we drank, it, it's usually down to, you know, our inability to kind of, you know, just to sit comfortable in our own skin and, you know, not needing totally. stuff on the outside of you to to resolve that. And you talk about that inner narrative, that inner critic that you thought you weren't good enough or you thought, you know, you, you know, you weren't a good person. And being able to kind of, when you get sober and like, that's what I loved about going through a 12-step program and I was able to kind of go through, kind of go through my own behaviours and go on to make amends and, and realise it wasn't like a bad person that's trying to get good. I was just an ill person that was trying to get well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's, mm-hmm. I think any, any, anyone I ever kind of, I never harmed anyone physically throughout my drinking, but definitely emotionally, you know what I mean? Definitely harmed a lot of people emotionally. And, you know, that thing of that, I didn't wake up in the morning and go out of my way to try and harm anyone. I was just, I was in survival mode. I was in so much yeah. pain. And I just wanted to get out yeah. of that pain that I go to any lens. And you talked about at the start of the podcast about, you know, you were talking to like guys in the club and they said they could have access to bills. So you're like, yeah, like, you know, the, the, the eyes yeah. light up and go, yes, will you marry me? Like, you know, you can yes. get me alcohol. <laughs> and that's what's like, though. That's what's like. You get that tunnel vision. You're like, you're like Gollum out of Lord of the Rings. You just want your precious. You just want your fix, whatever that fix may be. And you go to any lengths, you know, you step on toes, you hurt people, you break hearts because you 100%. just want that escape. You just want to get out of pain. And I think you get so desperate for that relief that a, a, a drink gives us that we go to absolutely any lengths to get there, regardless of the people we hurt, even if we, we loved them very much. And and I think that's the very selfish part of 
addiction is that you know we we don't realize what we're doing it's not that we wake up in the morning and you know say oh, i, I want to you know i want to kind of harm this person emotionally or whatever to get my drink you know it's it's just that we do it it's just part it's, it's like an occupational hazard of being in a, a active addiction you know that we do we do harm people like and it was only when i got sober that i realized that when i realized that i realized i'm not the bad person that i you know portrayed myself to be i'm not this low life piece of shit you know what i mean the big ego and the low self-esteem we always thought it was a, a very important piece of shit like you know but um and then coming and uh, making amends to that to me like putting yourself on the top of that amends list you know and letting yourself off yeah. the hook and that for me was an absolute game changer as well you know what i mean to drop the to drop the stick you know what i mean and stop beating myself up and i think that was definitely a changing point in, in my own recovery you know yeah yeah absolutely and what for you like for you today like what what do you think um like what do you think is a vital part of kind of adding to your sobriety on a daily basis? Like what kind of things would you do now to kind of, you know, make the most of being sober? What things would you recommend to your, your, your clients in the sober coaching that, you know, to make the most of sobriety? I think other than finding a community, finding like, I think there's a lot of amazing resources out there in the alcohol free world that I wasn't aware of when I first quit drinking. I think I only found like the first quit like book when I was like a hundred days sober was the first time I found, um, the unexpected joys of being sober, which is like my favorite. Oh my God, that changed my life. I was like, wow, there's books about this. (laughs) Like there's other people that have been through this. Wow. And, and it's just, there's so many podcasts. There's so many books. There's so many, amazing sources out there. Like even kind of I'll circle back to, I was speaking about my sober mentor, um, Rolf. And he, when I first quit drinking, I didn't know that there were any books out there about sobriety, but I knew that he had this book about yoga that I loved where he mentioned sobriety a couple of times. And I knew he had another book about being alcohol free. And so I really drew to him and I was constantly looking to him as like my sober role model. So I guess it's just like having people to look up to and people to learn from and people to listen to who can just kind of help reaffirm that like you're on the right path. I love that. I love that so much. Okay. So I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick fire questions before we wrap up the podcast. Okay. So first of all, what's the greatest advice you've ever gotten? The greatest advice I've ever gotten. Wow. That's a really hard question. Um, Well, I recently mentioned on a podcast, I guess this is good advice about anything. Um, It's not really related to sobriety, but I was a teacher and I was trying to be like this superhero teacher. I was a first year teacher. I was trying to have like the most beautiful bulletin boards and like teach my students everything and like do everything right and please everyone. And one of my colleagues, I remember saying to me, you know, you don't have to do everything well, just pick one thing and do that one thing well. And this was like, this game changing advice for me. And it was only about teaching. It was about like what I was going to focus on with my students, but I think it's shaped a lot of things in my life. Like do one thing well, one thing well in your business, one thing well in your 
um, like, you know, I'm sharing my sober journey. That's like the one thing I'm doing well and not try to do so many things. Well, I don't know if that relates to sobriety. I, I guess that. the one thing well is to be sober. Yeah, no, I love that. <laughs> I think Will Smith has that saying as well, you know, about laying one brick very good at a time rather than worrying about the whole house. Just do to keep, yeah. just lay one brick as, as good as you can at a time. Like. And I guess that lays in well with sobriety because there's so many people that, you know, on day one sober are like, I'm going to like run a marathon and become a vegan and like stop mm. eating sugar and quit coffee. And and it's really just doing one thing well. And then once you've mastered that thing, like it's all just going to naturally ripple yeah. out. You know, you stay sober, then you'll start the yoga, then you'll start eating well. And before you know it, you'll be like, so like you know, different person. The progress over perfection, you know, focus on yeah. long term progress rather than short term perfection. Okay, so what's what's the worst advice you've ever gotten? I think the worst advice is any advice that is unasked for and unwanted. <laughs> so I think the worst advice is people who offer their people who listen to other people share and think that they're automatically looking for their advice and looking for them to solve their problems. And I think we have to be really mindful of the fact that when we're offering people advice, it's from our unique lens, our unique experience. We have our own biases on what we think is right. And I think we should only offer advice if people specifically say, hey, what would you do? What do you think I should do when people are specifically requesting advice? Um, Because any advice that I've gotten that has been unwanted has made me feel um, like I'm not... Um, like the person thinks that I'm not wise enough to come to my own conclusions about what's right for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. I love that. Okay, what what advice would you, what, what would you go back and say to yourself five years ago? What advice would you give yourself? Or even go back three years ago when you found yourself in that kind of moment, waking up in a blackout in your, in your school, like what advice would you have said to yourself? My God, I guess, you know, Everything that I'm do- I've done, I like don't regret it because it's brought me to the point where I am now. But I would say to myself for so many years when I was back and forth of like, I want to quit drinking, but I can't, but I have this holiday, but this thing, but like whatever. I wish I had just said to myself, like, just start now. Like there's never going to be a perfect day one ever. There's always going to be birthdays, New Year's, weddings, vacations. There's always going to be something that you're going to have to explore being sober for, for the first time. And I think a lot of us use it as our excuse to put it off, say, you know, I can't get sober now because I have this, that, or the other thing. So I would say to myself back then, just start now, just start. Okay. I love that. Right. Last question. What sort of legacy do you want to leave behind? Oh God, that's a great question. I have, I have a favorite, I have lots of favorite quotes, but one of my favorite quotes that I live by is Jen Pasteloff, amazing author. Um, she has says in her book, when I get to the end of my life and I ask one final, what have I done? Let my answer be love. I have done love. I love and that. I love that because I feel like, you know, like RJ Palacio also says, like when choosing between being right and being kind, just choose being kind, you know? And it's like, you don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to have all the wisdom. You don't have to like, you don't have to be perfect. You just make people feel that they're loved and, and that's enough. 
I love that. Yeah, it's like, the, would you rather be right or happy? Or one of my favorite quotes and one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite bands is uh, All You Need Is Love. And that's, that, that's yes. the answer, isn't it? God is love. Okay, Alex, it's been absolutely phenomenal talking to you and I've personally gotten so much out of this chit chat. And uh, it just, talking to people like you just makes me so, uh, so happy and proud to be part of the sober movement, you know, and be part of the, the sober community. And, uh, yeah, I love it. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you or find out more information about you, how can they do that? Yeah, so my Instagram is Alex McRobs. Um, and that is where I am, where most of my stuff is exists. <laughs> like, what am I saying? That's where most of my content is. Um, but I also have a community, the mindful life practice, and that is my sober community. And so basically I offer, um, sober yoga programs, sober yoga, yoga teacher trainings, all that kind of stuff. And I also have a podcast called sober yoga girl podcast. So you can find me there. Awesome. Awesome. Right, Alex, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and uh, I wish all the best in Dubai and Princess as well and uh, yeah have an absolutely unreal day awesome thank you so much thank you